Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. I'm your host, John Acuff, and I love goals. Why? Because a goal is the fastest path between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. And best of all, finishing a goal feels amazing. You'll never forget what it felt like to walk across the stage and have a dean hand you a diploma you've dreamed about for years. You will never forget how good it felt to walk around your entire neighborhood without getting winded. You will never forget how good it felt to walk to the mailbox without worrying about bills because you paid them all. That's why restaurants have their first dollar bill framed behind the cash register. It's not about the amount of money. It's about what that money means. It means they did it. They finished. That's the best feeling in the world. I want that feeling for you. I want you to have that moment. I want to help you cross the finish line of whatever goal you care about because the future belongs to finishers. That's why I'm doing this podcast. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing John Lee Dumas. This dude is a machine when it comes to goals. And I spent most of the interview taking notes on the stuff he was saying. Before we jump into the interview, today's episode is sponsored by MetaShare. Have you guys ever had buyer's remorse? You know, that feeling of intense regret because the thing you thought you just had to have was only something you used once or twice. For me, it was the time I bought a really expensive road bike because I thought I was going to get into cycling. I proceeded to hang it on the wall of my garage and feel ashamed for six months. Well, I know some of you are experiencing buyer's remorse right now for something much more frustrating. You know what I'm talking about. It's the health care you rushed to get during open enrollment last December. Well, I have some good news for you. You've probably heard me talking about our main sponsor for this podcast, MetaShare. And these guys have the answer to healthcare buyer's remorse. Check this out. Members of MetaShare save up to 50% or more per month on their healthcare costs. They say the typical family saves up to $500 per month. And here's the best part. You can become a member at any time. So that means it isn't too late to ditch your buyer's remorse and switch to a more affordable healthcare that will save you money and help you sleep better at night. If this is your first time you're hearing about MetaShare, it is the best alternative to health insurance that allows you to share the burden of medical bills, offers access to 900,000 plus healthcare providers, and has a proven 25-year track record. Plus, in addition to saving hundreds per month as a member of MetaShare, you will also have access to free telehealth and free telecounseling. You won't find that with any traditional health insurance provider. Guys, it only takes two minutes to see how much you could save. Go investigate that for yourself and your family at metashare.com slash John. That's metashare.com slash John. Remember, John doesn't have an H in it. So it's M-E-D-I, that's meta, share, S-H-A-R-E, dot com slash J-O-N. All right, so who is John Lee Dumas? Well, here's his official bio. John Lee Dumas is the founder and host of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. With over 100 million listens of his 3,000 plus episodes, JLD, that's what they call him, JLD, has turned Entrepreneurs on Fire into a media empire that generates over a million listens every month. His first traditionally published book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, is available for pre-order right now with five amazing bonuses at UncommonSuccessBook.com. Let me give you that URL again, because I think you're going to want it. UncommonSuccessBook.com. I'm in the middle of his book right now, and it's so practical and so tactical. I love it. All right, get ready to take some notes. Here's my conversation with John Lee Dumas. John Lee Dumas is my guest today, and he wrote a book that I 
absolutely love. I don't always get to say that. I sometimes have to start intro short and just go right into questions. But dude, your book is so good. Like it almost made me mad how good it is because it's going to take me a long time to read it because there's so many good parts to it. So dude, first out, right out of the gate, you killed it. I love your book. Thank you, brother. Coming from you, that honestly means a lot. And I know if I come back on for my second book and you just jump straight to questions, I know that there's trouble. There's trouble. (laughs) I shouldn't have admitted that. I should not have admitted that. So my first question, were you always this motivated? No, I actually consider myself a fairly lazy person at most things in life. And I really do mean that. I mean, I've been called lazy by a lot of people, to be honest, because I have always been all in or all out. And there's very few things I'm all in at. When I go all in, I go all in. A daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs, 3,000 interviews in nine years, that's all in. My health, my wellness, like I'm 41 years old and I don't look or feel like it. That's because I go all in on health and wellness. Other things in my life, I do not go all in on. And it shows. And, And there's a lot of things I'm terrible at. And there's a lot of reasons and places that I'm lazy, but I pick and choose my battles, John. So what are some things you're all out on? Like in a good way where you go, you know what? This isn't a spot for me to focus. This isn't what I'm about. What are some spots like that? Anything that has to do with home repair. I live in a gorgeous 5,500 square foot home on the Caribbean in Puerto Rico. It's a dream house. There's always something wrong in a house that size. I do not even pick up a screwdriver. I literally have a handyman who comes to my home two times per week. I give him $20 per hour. He does all the things. I do none of them. That's one example. That's a great example and one that's close to my heart. My (laughs) wife has her master's in construction management and she knows it all. And I... I write books. Um, so <laughs> I write those books. Are, those and are, those you are. crush it from stage, by the way. I've been privy to some of those. Oh, thanks, man. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised who might not be familiar with your work. Right out of the gate, you jump in and talk about you're 23. You're a tank commander in Iraq. Thank you for your service, first of all. But what what do you learn in those moments? What comes out of those moments? You know, most people haven't been in that situation. How does that kind of put you on a path? You learn perspective, John. You learn perspective. You learn that life is short. And why do we spend all of our time, energy, and bandwidth quaking in our boots, cowering behind this wall of fear, which is perfectionism, and saying, oh, I can't launch right now because I'm a perfectionist. That's you being a coward, hiding behind a wall of fear, which by the way, been there, been there, Mm -hmm. but not for long because I know life is short. I went to war with 12 men and four of them did not return. Those are not great odds. And I saw what happens and how fragile life can be. And I gained perspective from that. Now, am I perfect when it comes to perspective? Of course not. I'm a human being. I acclimate to everything just like we all acclimate. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I can look and I can say, you know what? You're going to suck as a podcaster, but freaking launch the thing, get it out in the world and, you know, take your lumps like a man, like a woman, if you're a woman, take your lumps and get over it. Like get over it because life is short. And if you want to do anything that's going to mean anything, if you want to share your voice, your message, your mission with the world, if you want to create an impact, if you want to surround yourself with the right people, get it out there. Everybody's crappy doing the first thing they did. I'm sure, John, let's not, call you out, but let's call you out. I'm sure the first time you presented from stage, you were pretty bad. I know I was terrible. I literally looked at my feet 
and paced back and forth for an hour and 45 minutes. It's cringeworthy, but I got it over with and I got a little bit better the next time. Dude, an hour 45 is an eternity. Like that's a hard first speech. Like 20 minutes feels like a long time. It was an hour 45. It was a solo presentation. It was just me on stage. And man, I, I couldn't have filled 20 minutes and I tried to go an hour 45. Yeah, that's a that's aggressive. I, I get a little sweaty just thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of the things you write in the book that I think a lot of people resonate with. I'm going to read back your words to you. You say, "I thought becoming a lawyer would give me respect. I thought corporate finance would make me rich. I thought real estate would give me freedom and fulfillment." Wrong, wrong, and wrong again. And I think a lot of people have had that moment where they've tried a variety of things. And jumped coasts. I mean, you went from Maine to San Diego. That's Those are both coasts for people who don't know the map. <laughs> and you're in that moment. How do you not get stuck in that? Because a lot of people would stay there for a year, for five years, for 10 years and think, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do next. How do you not get stuck in that moment? First off, geography is tough. Geography is really tough. I it thought is. when I was moving to Puerto Rico that it was like a stone's throw from Florida. It's actually yeah. 1,200 miles. Yeah, you're pretty deep out in the ocean. It's, I'm way it's out, out in the ocean, bro. Yeah. Like I'm out here. Like I can I can get to Africa almost as quick as I can get back to the States. That's kind of a That's scary crazy. thought. But listen, this is the reality is that when I was back, you know, in 2012 and trying to make that decision that you're talking about, there was a quote in a book that literally reached out from the pages and slapped me in the face. And it was an Albert Einstein quote that said, Try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And that was the thing. I'm like, I have been chasing success with those things that you were just talking about. Law school, corporate finance, real estate. I was chasing what I thought was success. And I failed at every single turn. But when I read that quote, it planted the seed for the first time in my life of like, what would it look like to become a person of value? What would that even look like? Because I haven't done anything of value since I served our country as an officer in the U.S. Army, I went through six years of providing no value in this world and expecting something in return. But wow, that was such an, a quote that just you know backfired in my face. And I was like, what am I doing? And that planted the seed, John, of becoming a person of value. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like that aha moment happened that day. But I planted the seed that I said, the next thing I do, the next thing that I do is going to be of value. And eventually that turned to me launching the first daily podcast, interviewing entrepreneurs. And here we are talking nine years later, 3,000 episodes later, 100 million listens later, over 1.4 million listens a month. And it's not just listens, it's a business that 90 months in a row has generated over $100,000 of net profit. And by the way, because I'm so far out in the ocean in a Puerto Rican territory here, I get to keep all the money that I make. Yeah, I I imagine that factored into the move to Puerto Rico. 100%. Like. <laughs> I, don't call me Brendan Bouchard. I moved to the Caribbean because I always wanted to live here. No, you moved to the Caribbean because you want to save seven figures of, of taxes a year. Yeah. And I don't blame you. And guess what? Yeah. That's why I'm here. Exactly. I, I think what's fascinating about the way you talk about money, because I do think there's a lot of people that have shyness about it. They have shame about it. There's, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. But I think one of the most fascinating things you do is you post your monthly income on your website, eofire.com. It's one of your most highly down, you know, viewed yep. pages. How did that happen? Back in 2011, 
I had this thought in my mind. Again, I came from an officer in the U.S. Army, tried law school, corporate finance. I was like, you know, very traditional in my career up to that point. I thought people that made money online were slimy, scammy people. That's what I thought. I was wrong, but that was what I honestly thought. And then I came across this guy, Pat Flynn, and he was publishing a monthly income report. And he was a nice guy. And he was being transparent, open and honest. He was a family man. He was giving real value in the world and actually making money. And that inspired me. That, that shifted my mindset of like, oh, maybe you can be a good person and be a respectable person and, and give value in the world and actually make a living online. Again, this was 2011. I just, I had the wrong mindset. I didn't know. And that opened my eyes up. And I remember making a pledge and saying, man, if I ever, ever get to a point where I'm generating revenue online, I want to give the same kind of inspiration and the same kind of motivation and the same kind of transparency and honesty that Pat Flynn is giving to me right now. And so it didn't happen overnight because when I launched my business, I didn't make basically any money for a year. But when I finally started generating revenue, I was like, now's the time to fulfill on that promise. And I've been publishing a monthly income report every month for 90 months. I bring my lawyer on for a legal tip. I bring my accountant on for a tax tip. We make them very valuable. And guess what? I get there's a lot of issues that people have around money. I understand that. And guess what? I'm a believer, believe me, that money can't buy happiness. And I have a lot of money. So I know if that statement was true, I would know it. But I also know one thing, not having money and the lack of money makes it really hard to truly be happy as well. So there's some things that go along there when it comes to generating revenue. I'm a big believer and it allows you to amplify your message. It allows you to support the causes you like to be a philanthropist. I've written hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in checks to my favorite causes. And I would challenge anybody to hand a blank check to a cause that you believe in and tell me that doesn't provide you with happiness. And most people can't answer that question because they can't do it. But those people who have achieved real financial freedom can, and man, it's a good feeling. Yeah, I, I love it. That to me, that page is really inspiring. And it seems like you've got a great history of whether it's a quote from Albert Einstein, Pat Flynn inspiring you, other books. If you had to say, here's my Mount Rushmore of self-help books or business books, motivational books, the category you and I live in, who's on your Mount Rushmore? What titles are on your Mount Rushmore? I'll start with the obvious because it is true. And then I'll go to a couple more most people may not have heard of as much, but they can grow rich. I mean, that yep. is where it started. When I saw what Napoleon Hill did by going around physically back in the day and interviewing all the world's most successful, smart, and amazing entrepreneurs and businessmen and women, I said, wow, like I can do that from the comfort of my own home. I mean, here I am in Puerto Rico, you know, in my studio, like getting to talk to John Acuff, like, hello, like this is amazing. And I've been able to do the same things with Tim Ferriss, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, Tony Robbins, fill in the blank. Like it's been unbelievable that we can do that as like a modern day Napoleon Hill. We all can do that on some levels. And another one that I want to share that, you know, really just hit me in a great way and kept me going is a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Not a lot of people have read that book. It's so good. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. And a lot of people don't know that Jeff Olson was actually the mentor to Darren Hardy, who then, after reading The Slight Edge, Darren Hardy went on and wrote The Compound Effect to build off of those principles. And just to sum it up real quick, and the reason why I love it so much and why it helped me so much is it, it just hammers home the principle that just doing the small things right every single day, the small things, ends up giving you so much massive compound of success over time. Because truly, the eighth wonder of the world is compounding. 
It's just a fact. And so for me, doing a daily podcast for six months in a row, not really having a ton of listeners, you know, sometimes feeling like I'm speaking to an empty room, not making any money. Most people give up at that point. Most people do give up. But that book taught me the fact, hey, patience, persistence, perseverance, just do the little things right every day, just the little things right every day. They will add up to massive things. And now because of that book, 100 million listens has compounded over the past nine plus years on this podcast. Is there a guest you still haven't interviewed? Like your white whale? Like who's the who's still out there that you're like, okay, we're working our way up to, you know, is there somebody that's on your short list of, I'm really trying to get them to be on the podcast? No, there's really not. Honestly, that's awesome. I'm a big believer that the right people find their way to my show. Mm-hmm. And I really live in that world because there was a time for years that I had to bust my butt to keep up with that pretty crazy 365 interview schedule per, per year. And, you know, that was hard work. And I reached a tipping point at about year four, where I was getting more people asking to be on the show, qualified people, than I even had spots. So I started having to actually turn people away for the very first time, and it was all inbounds. And now I'm at 400 inbound requests every month, minimum, sometimes much more, of people to be on my show. So obviously now it's become, you know, a much more supply and demand type of game here. And I let people find their way to me. I want people to want to be on the show. So, you know, there's some people I'd love to get an email from. Hey, Barack Obama, if you want to email me and ask me on the show, talk about your book, my answer will be yes, by the way. Yeah. But I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to go after you. I'm not going to like mm-hmm. go after people that are doing me a favor or are just like, yeah, like put it on the, on the list. That's just not where I need to be. Well, the connection isn't there either. You're, I mean, you've got a deeper connection when there's a desire on both sides. Yeah, the desire on both sides is huge. Without a doubt. I love the 17-step roadmap. There's so many practical, actionable things you can do in that. I want to pull up principle number two, which is identify an underserved niche. So really, it's a roadmap to uncommon success, 17 different steps. Every step has tremendous value. Like You could do an hour on each step. But number two, I really liked because it's something I struggle with, identifying an underserved niche and filling that void to the best of your ability. Talk to people about niches, because I think there's a lot of my listeners right now that are going, I want to start a podcast, want to write a book, want to be a speaker, but I don't know what my niche is. I mean, I can't even believe you even thought about calling yourself an amateur. This is such a well-researched, thorough interview. You're, you're just a pro, brother. But listen, this is the fact. So few people will ever identify their big idea. That's step one. I'm not going to hover on that, but I want to just set the parameters here. Most people will die not even knowing what their big idea is. But the problem is when people actually do sit down and identify their specific big idea, they just do that thing. And guess what? There's a reason why it's a big idea because it's a good idea and other people are doing it and you'll get crushed by the competition if you start there. If you start there. That's why step two is discover your niche. Your niche is that underserved place within your big idea. It's that void in the big idea that's not currently being filled by your competition. That's your opening. That is where you can win. Like John, back in 2012, my big idea was a podcast. That's broad and vague. That idea would fail. But what about a business podcast? That's one niche down. Okay. There's a lot of competition there. What about a podcast that's in the business section that interviews entrepreneurs? Well, guess what, John? There were seven shows that fit that category. Did I want to launch the eighth best show? Of course not. So what did I have to do? I had to niche down again. What was a void in the marketplace? Every one of those shows was once per week. That was what they were doing. 
what if I 10X'd their quantity? Because I sure as heck know my quality is not going to be there because I was going to be the worst. I was going to be the eighth of eight interview shows if I did that once a week. I went down to seven days per week. I niched down till it flipping hurts. And I owned that niche. And guess what? The day I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, it was the best daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. It was the worst daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. It was the only daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. And the big takeaway here is the higher the barrier, the lower the competition. I set a barrier so high in this niche that I didn't just have low competition. I had no competition because nobody was willing to put in the work to do a daily podcast because it had never been proven. They didn't know how I was going to make money. I didn't know how I was going to make money. And I did not for a year. Not many people can do that. But I built a moat around my business by being the best and the only in my niche. My first mover advantage was real and I won as a result. So how within your niche can you be the best solution to a real problem? If you can't answer that question with full confidence, you're not niche enough. I like that you talk about, you know, niching until it hurts because it does. I think where a lot of people leave out the bravery going into a niche takes because you're afraid I'm going to lose audience, I'm going to lose opportunity. Talk about bravery and being willing to commit to a niche. It does take courage. It does take courage because guess what? You want to resonate with everybody because when you resonate with everybody, then guess what? Anybody can buy your stuff. Anybody can be in your audience. You're resonating with everybody, the 9 billion people in this world. But when you try to resonate with everybody, you will resonate with nobody. You will be a little girl screaming into the winds and nobody's going to hear you and nobody's going to care. We live in a very chaotic, loud, crazy world. And if you think... You just being the 374th best solution to a real problem is going to work. You're wrong. You like what John Acuff is doing? You want to be the success that he is? So you launch a weak, pale imitation of John Acuff and then you wonder why you're losing? Or you do a daily interview show and you wonder why you're losing? Like, hello, you need to find your big idea, your zone of fire, your specific niche that you're serving better than anybody else, not 10 times worse than everybody else. That's how you win. So to that point, you strike me as very deliberate about focus. You focus on all in, all not. We talked about the beginning. Yeah. So like take YouTube, for instance. You could theoretically have somebody come in and say, you know what? You could have a huge YouTube presence. You need to go invest in, like you need to go hardcore YouTube, but you haven't. You have a presence. Barely. It's, it's, yeah, barely, same with me. But like, how do you hold the line? Because I know that people come around you and go, hey, you're really good at this one area. Here's seven other areas you should be in. And if you're, and then they go like, and if you're not in there, you're missing something. Like, how do you stay focused on like, no, this is my lane. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, I could be in 50, like I could be doing 50 things on Clubhouse right now. This is what I do. So tell me how you say no to that stuff. I'm committed to being the best daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. Anything that distracts me from that focus is a waste of my time. So listen, will I repurpose my interviews on YouTube that just has like my logo with the audio? Sure, but at the same time, that takes me absolutely no time or effort. And guess what? It's also crap because people don't go to YouTube to stare at a logo and hear two people talking. Like they go there for videos. They don't go there for just audio only content. 
That's why I don't put any focus there. Like, I don't care what you do to my YouTube channel. It's not going to become good. Like, it's not going to. Like, there are reasons why the top YouTube channels are the top YouTube channels because they're entertaining to watch. They're entertaining. Casey Neistat is entertaining to watch. That's why he's winning at a massive level on YouTube and other channels like that for video. I know where I thrive. I know where my audience, Fire Nation, which is step three, my avatar. I know where my perfect listener listens to my podcast. When they're driving on their car to work, when they're going on a jog, when they're at the gym, when they're walking their dog, when they're folding laundry, when they're doing dishes, when they're doing things that they can't be visually seeing something, they're going to have the best audio quality interview that I can possibly provide with a successful entrepreneur to listen to. That's how I built my audience, brick by brick, focus by focus. And I don't go out of my lane. I stay there and everything I do is a direct relation to that. And real quick, the biggest question I get by far, John, how do you grow your podcast audience? Um, by becoming a better podcaster, by actually creating a better podcast, by honing your skills, by working at your craft, you know, not by trying to figure out this ad sequence or this drip sequence or this ever webinar or this or that. No, how about you actually work at the thing you're trying to become the best at or trying to stay the best at? How about you actually put in the work, put in the reps? So what do I do? I'm on 20 other podcasts every month because I know one truth. Podcast listeners listen to podcasts. And when I go on other podcasts and I drop value bombs, and by the way, I work on honing my craft because I'm practicing and I'm doing the work and I'm sharing value. I end with a single call to action. Hey, if you think you got value today from me being on the show, maybe you want to check out my podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, because I know that you as a podcast listener, listen to podcasts. And I know you listen to an average of seven podcasts. I just want to become one of your seven. Check out eofire.com slash EOF. You can subscribe to your favorite directory to Entrepreneurs on Fire. I would love to prove myself as one of your seven. Thank you. Come on, dude. That's ridiculous. Gosh, I think this could be like a 10-hour. Like, it makes me mad I don't live in Puerto Rico right now because <laughs> I feel like we could have a long, long conversation. That is that is so good. So of the 17 steps, what do you think is going to be the one that's hardest for people? Like, where are you going to have people go, whoa, 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 wait a second, but what about, or like, where are you going to get questions, the most questions from the 17? There's not a close second to your question. You know this. It's a blowout. It's a blowout. It's a slaughter. It's not even, I mean, again, it's not even a close second. You're an author, brother. You know what it takes to write a book. This book is 71,000 words. It's 273 pages. It's not short. It's meaty. Average chapter, three to 5,000 words. I was doing two hours of writing every day for eight months, 480 writing hours. I get to this specific step and I'm writing and I'm writing. The next day I'm writing. The next week I'm still writing. I finished this step. 13,500 words, this one step, this one chapter. And I stepped back and I said, man, there's a few reasons why I've had the success that I've had, why I have over hundred million listens, why I have 90 months in a row of a net profit, not gross, net profit of over hundred thousand dollars, sometimes much more. There's a reason why I've had all this success. And now I've never seen it more clearly than this specific step. Step seven Chapter seven, creating a content production plan. That is the reason why I've won at such a high level. That is the reason why I've been able to create a daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs over 3,000 episodes in nine years. And nobody else has been able to touch that because my content production plan 
And I'm talking to you, everybody that's listening right now, not you, John, everybody else. My content production plan is so much better than yours. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. It is so much better than yours. And yours can get better because mine sucked. And yours can improve because I've improved mine over the years. A decade now has taken me to get to this razor sharp, unbelievable, fantastic content production plan. It's amazing. And I give it all away. And step seven, chapter seven, creating a content production plan. It is 13,500 words. 1% of you listening to my voice will actually read it. 1% of that 1% will actually implement it. And those people will win. Well, and see, this is why I'm genuine when I say I love your book, because there's parts of my business that it's exposing as I read it, that I go, oh, yeah. like Mine too, I had a, as I wrote it, it was exposing my business. <laughs> well, it's just, it reminded me, I had a business coach review what I was doing a couple of years ago, and we had a meeting to talk about it. And she's, the first thing she said was, John, you're what I call accidentally successful. And that is not a compliment. And so there were parts of my business where I was skating on personality, charisma, the ability to tell a joke, but I didn't have systems behind it. Again, when I say I'm excited about this book, that's why I'm excited about this book. It's such a great point you just made. And this is how you need to, to approach this book is you look at the table of contents right there in front of you are the 17 steps. The people that do it wrong are going to say, I'm at step seven, chapter seven. I'm going to jump right there and go forward. No, you start at step one chapter one, and three things are going to happen at every step in this process. Either one, you're going to be like, okay, I just confirmed that I've crushed this and you move on. Two, okay, there were some tweaks and adjustments and some pivots I had to make, but now I've crushed it. Now I can move on. Or three, holy crap, wipe the slate clean. Now let's go forward finally the right way. You can have one of those three options at every step in the process. And then you catch up to where you're at. Now you have an amazing nine steps behind you. And now you move forward through step 17. And that's the roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. And I'm telling you, if you do the steps, this stuff works. This, this stuff works. I've seen you do it. I've, I mean, we've known each other for years and I've watched you do it. And when I read this book, I could see other people in my audience that were going to be able to say, oh, passion versus expertise. Okay, here's what I need to do. Or, you know, here's an actionable step. So I only have two questions left because I know we're running out of time. One, walk us, there's no answer to average day. People ask me that question, but I think we're always curious about like, what's a day look like? Like this is a book launch window, so it's different. Different. But like, in an, you know, it's September of 2021. What's your, what's your Monday look like? What are some things that you're always trying to do? So one thing that I have is a process that I call batching like a baller. It's been the reason why my content production plan has been such beast mode from day one. Again, it's improved over time. It wasn't always awesome, but it was still beast mode day one, where I have days that I just batch my face off. Like John, you are my 11th of 12 interviews today. I do it. This is my zone of fire. I can do this. I actually get better and more energized and more excited and sharper each interview that I do because this is my zone of fire. I'm an extrovert. I love having these conversations. What am I going to do? Be on my hammock right now, like sipping a Mai Tai? That's not where I want to be. This is where I want to be right here. So I found my zone of fire. This is what I do. I batch like a baller. These are my strengths. This is what you need to do is you need to find what your strengths are in your content production plan and batch them. So you get in the zone and you just crush it. You just make it happen. This is typical. So this is non-book promotion window. I have five days per month that I'm absolutely 
crushed, meaning it's morning to night. I have interview after interview for my show, Entrepreneurs on Fire, or interview after interview for other shows, or one of the other things I have planned, meetings for my business, every single block back to back, five days per month. And I plan for those days. And I know those days I need to be all in, all on. The other 25 days per month, I am in pure cruise mode. Now I'm getting up, I'm working out, I'm exercising, I'm getting to inbox zero, I'm doing a little bit of this on social media, a little bit of that, but that's it. I have themed my days to five days a month where I am crushing it, 25 days per month where I'm literally just in pure maintenance mode, a couple, two, maybe three hours max a day, and that's it. And that's where I'm at with my business. And guess what? Look at my income reports. I have essentially been plateaued at about between two to $3 million a year for eight years now. And there are people, rightfully so, that look at me and say, John, your business hasn't grown. Like you've been flatlined. And I'm like, because I found exactly where I want to be. I've got three virtual assistants in the Philippines who are unbelievably well-trained. My total salary is less than $4,000 for them combined per month. It's myself and Kate, three virtual assistants. I work essentially five days all out per month. The other days are just a little bit. And then I get to live my life exactly how I want to. Could I get to $10 million? Literally, I know exactly how I can get to $10 million. Hire 10, 15, 20 more people. Increase my ad spend 100X because my ad spend is essentially nothing right now. Work every single day instead of five days per month. Do a bunch of other things and I could get to $10 million. Guess what? I live in Puerto Rico. I'm netting $100,000 per month after taxes because I barely pay any taxes. I am exactly where I want to be financially, business-wise, work-wise, I found out what my financial freedom is. I found out what my fulfillment is. I found out what my uncommon success is. And that's what this book gets you. It doesn't get you to $10 million. It doesn't get you to $100 million. It gets you there if that's what you want and that's your process, but it gets you first off to say, okay, what do I want? How much do I want to work? How much do I want to play? Kate and I go on a 75-day unplugged European vacation every single year. We did 15 countries the year before last, of course, before in 2020, and the six years prior, by the way. Six years, sorry, seven years in a row, gone, 75 days. In fact, the last year was actually 90 days because we started off with our Tony Robbins retreat at Namali in Fiji to, to kick us off. 90 days we were gone. 75 is our sweet spot, but that's the business that I built by choice. Yeah. So it's so unfair that I said, I have two less questions. And then I feel like you did an entire <laughs> new book that I have 50 other questions. So we're going to have to do another interview. Yes, I'm um, in. That I'm is because I'm just a fan. I love watching you do what you do. And last question, where can people go to find out more? So there's five amazing bonuses. This is me saying, I believe in the book. I love the book. All I have is a digital copy. So as soon as this is over. I'm emailing one of those three assistants and saying, please send me a real copy because I want the one he's holding in his hand. Where can people go for more about this? Boom, brother. Hit me up with that email. We're going to send you a hardcover out because they're just being released tomorrow, actually. So you'll be first on that list for sure. This is what I want to say. This book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, is that culmination, not of this brain, not of my journey, of the 3,000 interviews that I've done with the world's most successful entrepreneurs, me learning as a mentee. They were my mentors, learning from all of them every single time I got them on the microphone. This is the download of those thousands of hours of conversations, boiling it down to right in front of me, 
seeing the 17 foundational principles that every single entrepreneur that has had success, specifically uncommon success, has in common. Me putting that in a chronological step-by-step format and then writing for 480 hours, 71,000 words with HarperCollins leadership, an amazing traditional publisher behind me with the team to edit this, to make it beautiful, to make it wonderful, to make it what it is right now. But I wrote every single one of these words from my experience. And I don't just want you, you know, to just drop the $25 and get this book. Like I want you to do that, but I want to make it a no brainer for you. So I have five insane bonuses. I won't go into details of all five, but just one of them. I'm literally shipping all three of my journals, the Freedom Mastery and Podcast Journal to your door. I'm losing money on every pre-order. Not the point. It's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to make this a financial win for me. I'm trying to make this a gift to anybody who wants their version of Uncommon Success. This book has been personally endorsed by Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, Neil Patel, Erica Mandy, Dory Clark. I give you the first chapter at this URL, and there's a video of me as well explaining more details about it. UncommonSuccessBook.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to go pick up a copy. Hopefully the honest enthusiasm for me about it has come through. I'm a fan. I can't wait to eventually get back to Puerto Rico and be able to experience the full Puerto Rico experience with you. But this has been a blast. Thank you so much for doing this. I've absolutely loved it. Thanks, brother. See ya. This episode of the podcast was brought to you by MetaShare. Text John, J-O-N, to 474747 for more information. Huge thank you to MetaShare for sponsoring it. J-O-N, to 474747. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.